And welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington on this live broadcast from Studio 14. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Tuesday, March 14, 2023. South Sudan's holdout rebel groups say they are willing to resume talks in Rome. The purpose of this meeting is to consult what to do after the extension and after the the failure of the implementation of the peace agreement. And some people living with disabilities in South Sudan say they face discriminations at work and in schools. My parents, actually, they have negative attitude. But my uncle, because he's an educated person, he came with this idea that there is a school for visually impaired, for the blind, and right now I'm a graduate. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The South Sudan government and holdout opposition groups say they are ready to resume talks in Rome next week after the government pulled out of negotiations a few months ago. Dengai Deng has details for the away from Bor. Pagan Amum, leader of the opposition group Real SPLM, confirms that he received an invitation from the Sant Egidio community in Rome for the resumption of peace talks with the government to begin on March 20th. Amom says the talks will be a political discussion on the way forward after the RXS transition was, in his words, illegally extended by the government in Juba. purpose of this meeting is to consult what to do after the extension and after the, the failure of the implementation of the peace agreement that led to the extension. For us, we are going to propose convening of an all stakeholders inclusive roundtable conference to address the root causes of the crisis in South Sudan. And we will also listen to the government. It is very important to note that the extension of the transition, like many other extensions in the past, have not helped. Amom says his group is committed to addressing the root causes of the conflict and resolving the ongoing national crisis to achieve lasting peace. It is the government that has suspended its participation in the talks and we ask them now that they are returning to the talks whether they are serious and committed to address the root causes of the crisis and to work with us and all the other South Sudanese stakeholders to bring uh, permanent peace in the country and a transition to a sustainable democracy. Lili Adiu, press secretary in the office of President Salva Kiir, says government delegation headed by Presidential Affairs Minister Barnaba Marial will travel to Rome next week. It's starting from the 20th to the 25th of March and uh, the government delegation will go around the 18th. The government pulled out of the talks last November, saying the holdout groups were only using the initiative to buy time in order to prepare for war. Last month, after Pope Francis' visit to Juba, Marial said the government could resume the talks with the opposition groups. 
Suba Samuel, spokesperson of the National Salvation Front, says despite obstacles facing the talks, his group is ready to head back to Rome. Uh, National Salvation Front has received uh, some communication from uh, St. Egidio, uh, from Rome, uh, on uh, resumption of talks, peace talks. The talks began in 2019 but have failed to stop violence in some parts of the country despite a ceasefire signed in January 2020. The transitional government suspended its parts in peace talks twice. Once in 2021 when it accused the NAST of killing four people, including two Catholic nuns, along the Juba Nimli Highway, which the opposition group denied. And the second time last November. Suba says his group does not expect much from this round of talks unless the government shows commitment to resolve the root causes of the conflict. The current government in Juba don't have the necessary capacity, don't have a political will, don't have a momentum, don't have an interest to discuss about genuine peace. They include the NAST led by General Thomas Cirillo Suwaka and the South Sudan United Front led by General Paul Malongawan and the real SPLM led by General Pagan Amom. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiden in Bor. A group of Pan-African lawyers have sued the government of South Sudan in the East African Court of Justice for allegedly kidnapping one of the government critics. The lawyers say the South Sudan government and the governments of South Sudan and Kenya are responsible for the alleged disappearance and arbitrary arrest of Maurice Mabior Awijok, who was based in Kenya. South Sudan's acting minister for foreign affairs, Deng Dao, says South Sudan has not received summons from the East African Court of Justice. For VOA News, Viola Elias reports from Juba. Speaking from Arusha, Tanzania, Donald Daya, chief executive officer at the Pan-African Lawyers Union, says his group sued the governments of Kenya and South Sudan in the East African Court of Justice over the abduction and detention of Maurice Mabior Awidjok. Daya says Awidjok was abducted from his residence in Nairobi by some security personnel and allegedly brought to Juba last month. He says when his team fact-checked all the information, they immediately filed a case against both governments. We decided to file an immediate case before the East African Court of Justice against both governments, the government of Kenya, which is from where Morris was taken, and also the government of South Sudan, which is where Morris was transported to. So we filed the case 24th of February. We have served the case on both the government of South Sudan and the government of Kenya. So now we are waiting for an urgent hearing date from the court. Daya says Maurice Mabior's arrest appeared to be related to a family dispute, but says the circumstances do not matter, he must be released. There is conflicting information. From what we understand, this might very well be a family dispute coming from Warap State, from South Tonge County. So it looks like this started as a family dispute, but unfortunately these two brothers misusing their powers under government to try and make it look like it's a dispute against the state. South Sudan Acting Minister for Foreign Affairs Deng Daudeng says the government has not received any official communication regarding Mabior case.
uh, communication from uh, from that uh, uh, case so that we can react as a government. When we get an official uh, document related to the East African uh, court, we have a Daya is calling on both governments to immediately produce Maurice Mabior, a withdraw in a competent court of justice in South Sudan, with or without a summon. They have the opportunity even now to release him, and if he is being lawfully held, to produce him immediately before a relevant court of law. That is because even the South Sudan constitution is very clear on the timelines with which uh, anybody who is being lawfully held by any competent government agency should be brought before a court of law. And that time is long past. This is not the first time both governments have been sued by the Pan-African Lawyers Union regarding cases of disappearance. On July 3, 2019, Hope for Humanity Africa and Pan-African Lawyers Union sued the government of South Sudan and the Republic of Kenya at the East African Court of Justice over the arbitrary detention and possible subsequent murder of Dol Samuel Luke and Egri Esbon Idri. Amnesty International, the UN Panel of Experts, the UN Commission on Human Rights and other human rights organizations have documented numerous arbitrary detention by national security agents in multiple facilities. Amnesty International has also said detainees have been subjected to torture and other ill treatment and some are held in communicando without access to a lawyer or family members. For VOA News, I am Viola Elias in Juba. The South Sudan Union of Persons with Disabilities is calling on the government to implement the Convention for the Rights of Persons with Disability. The group says people with special needs in South Sudan face discrimination in education and at workplace. For VOA News, Manyang David Mayar reports from Juba. 35-year-old Catherine Bisencio lost her sight when she was 7 years old due to measles infection. She says her parents lost hope on her, saying she was useless and it stopped supporting her education. My parents, actually, they have negative attitude. But my uncle, because he's an educated person, he came with this idea that there is a school for visually impaired, for the blind, and right now I'm a graduate. Then secondly, also, I'm working. And this will mark that there is no one useless in, our, in this world. Because when you give an opportunity to a person with disability, he or she will achieve like any other person. Bisencio says most parents who have children with disabilities do not bother sending them to school. She also says education facilities in the country are not inclusive to children who are visually impaired. In her family of seven, Bisencio says she is the only educated person and now the sole breadwinner for her family. She says many South Sudanese children living with a disability face high levels of discrimination, not only in the community, but from public institutions and workplaces. There is uh, environmental barrier, the movement in the roads, and uh, also some buildings are not accessible like our ministries, is not even accessible for persons with disabilities. People still have that negative attitude towards persons with disability. People with disabilities are still facing discrimination in the society. And another barrier is uh, communication. Lack of facilitate, let me say like a sign language interpreters for persons with hearing impaired and also even braille. 
Aside from discrimination, some South Sudanese with disabilities say the burden of war and instability affects them the most. 42-year-old Rafael Warigo says his mother carried him on her back as she struggled to evacuate him to safety when fighting broke out in Juba in 2016. He called on the country's leaders to remember people with disabilities. Please know there is a person with disability who cannot run, who cannot see, who cannot hear. So it is your responsibility as a government, as a soldiers, as a citizens to protect the life of those people. Because we are the South Sudanese, we born here and we have a right to live. Last month, President Kiir signed the United Nations Conventions for the Rights of Persons with Disability, the purpose of which is to promote protect and ensure the full and equal enjoyment of all human rights and fundamental freedoms by all persons with disabilities and to promote respect for their inherent dignity. Rhoda Atanasio, Deputy Chairperson for the South Sudan Union of Persons with Disabilities, said these rights need to be translated into action. For example, we need inclusive education because I can't read books that are written for the eyes. Education of books should be translated into the Braille system so that I should be able to read. That is one. Number two, I am interested in roads that give us accessibility. That is also my right that I need. Three, I want a job in all aspects of this country according to my qualifications. Atanasio says these rights should be part of the permanent constitution, which is in the drafting stages. She says the union has sent representatives to the National Constitutional Amendment Committee to make sure the rights of persons with disabilities are included in the constitution. For VOA News, Amanyang David Mayor in Juba. You are listening to Sub Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Coming up. Sudan signs a deal with Russia. Find out more after the break. South Sudan in Focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in Focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Sudan said it will host Russia's first Navy base in Africa, despite opposition from the West, as soon as the country completes a transition from military to civilian rule. But while some Sudanese support the business that a base would bring, local tribal leaders are opposed to a foreign military presence. Henry Wilkins reports from Port Sudan. Port Sudan is Sudan's vital link to the Red Sea, a body of water strategically important for global powers and the countries that surround it, not least for its access to the Suez Canal. Port Sudan made headlines in February after Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov visited Sudan. 
During the visit, the Sudanese junta, which took power in a military coup in 2021, promised Russia a new naval base in the city. But local tribal leaders, who carry a big influence on the Red Sea coast, have other ideas. Mohamed Kara Kubar says he and other local leaders are against the Russian base. They refuse because they want just to put their hand and stop our port, I think. No investment. They have tribe, they have refused any military in our part. In February, Middle East Eye, a news website based in London, reported that Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo, a powerful Sudanese militia leader, attempted to open military bases along the Red Sea coast, but was prevented by local tribal leaders after they demanded money for development. A small Russian logistics base is reported to have been set up in Port Sudan in the past, but according to local media and residents, it ceased operation in 2021. In the vicinity of the old base, in the Flamingo district of the city, one local declined to give his name when VOA asked if he supported the Russian naval base. He says if a Russian naval base is in Sudanese interests, he wouldn't have a problem with it. I don't care who's involved, whether they are British, Russian or Americans, he added. One analyst said there has been talk of a full-fledged Russian naval base in Port Sudan for years, yet it has never materialised. Cameron Hudson is with the Centre for Strategic and International Studies, a Washington-based think tank. The case of the missing naval base has been around for uh, many years. Uh, This base has been promised to have been built, uh, I don't know how many times now, five or six times. Another analyst thinks the base could go ahead if Sudan's ruling junta is determined to make it happen. Hala Al-Karib is with the Strategic Initiative for Women in the Horn of Africa. I don't know. I think it very much depends uh, on the, um, the naval base. It it's very much depends on the direction that the political process is going to take. You know, so uh, if the regime is actually um, moving towards consolidating a, a 100% military power in Sudan, Sudan already has well-established links with Russia and the Russian paramilitary group Wagner. Sudan's hunter is reported to be trading the country's gold in exchange for Russian weapons. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Port Sudan, Sudan. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is heading to Ethiopia and Niger as the Biden administration accelerates a push to engage with Africa to counter China's growing influence on the continent. That's according to the State Department. Blinken departed from Joint Base Andrews in Maryland Monday night. Blinken will visit Addis Ababa and Niamey starting today to discuss the peace deal that ended hostilities in Ethiopia's northern Tigray region and counterterrorism efforts aimed at Islamic extremists in Niger and the Sahel more broadly. Blinken's trip will be the third high-profile visit to Africa this year by the top members of the Biden administration. Vice President Kamala Harris will spend a week in Africa at the end of March with stops in Ghana, Tanzania and Zambia. A group in South Sudan says it is using dance to create networks across the capital, Juba. Juma Bido, who founded the group, says hundreds of young men and women have benefited from the dance group. Bido says teaching people how to dance has been his passion. 
I'm dancing every day. Anytime I'm dancing, I'm like even even in the office, I, I like to dance. For example, if I print something from my laptop, I want to pick that paper. I'm working. I'm 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 I'm, uh, I'm practicing my footwork. So to reach there, to get the paper, I have to do some move until I reach there, I get the paper, and then I go, I go back to my decks. Uh, talk to me about the concept of teaching people how to dance in South Sudan. How did it all start? Uh, uh, me, I, uh, I started dancing since I was uh, in, uh, in, in Sudan, uh, church. Uh, and after that, uh, I like to dance the, 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 the many uh, the, 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 our, tri- our, our, our traditional dance like for Denka, for Pari, for Shuluk okay so when we came here in Juba and then we met uh, people from different countries and I found there is a place for uh, Afro-Latino dance uh, I went there because I love dance I started uh, learning uh, salsa and kizumba and pachata so from there I just found myself like, hey, I'm in. I know how to dance. I, I love dance. I love this kind of dance. So from there, I start, uh, I start uh, my skills for salsa. I start uh, teaching people some moves, some steps. And even uh, every day I'm practicing. Uh, this is what, uh, this is how I start. And how many people have, you know, joined your group? I hear you have a big group that you're training every Week. How many people have joined this group? Yeah, uh, uh, until now uh, we have uh, many people. We graduated many, many people since 2020. Uh, I have like uh, beginner classes, uh, improvers, and intermediate classes. And how many people are we talking about here? You- yes, yes, it reached 100. Sure, it reached one, 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 100 people. And we every year we have a, we have a sessions. Uh, for new uh, uh, peoples, and we are also doing a uh, social dance. Uh, if just after you finish the classes or during the classes, also you can join the people on the social dance. Yeah. So let's talk about the concept of dance. How do people here take it? Because I know this is a conservative society. Some people will see, say you are going to spoil their children or their girls. You're teaching them bad manners. How do people... How, what are some of the challenges that you face? Yeah, you are right. Uh, we we have a challenges uh, until now. Um, me myself, I facing a challenges with some people that I know them from Sudan. Until now, like how come you you become a dance instructor and you dancing kawajat uh, dance and you teach people and you spoiling people. So this is the challenges that we are facing. Uh, 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 that's why before I start my classes, I used to take the people through that. Okay, because without uh, knowing the culture of the dance, you cannot dance. Mm. So that's why before I start any session, I used to tell my students like uh, about the culture of salsa, about the kizumba. Kizumba is from where? Salsa is from where? Why we are dancing salsa and kizumba? Okay, they will benefit what? It's just a dance, or they will fit something that they can, they can, uh, they can, they, they can add something in their uh, life. Let, let's talk about the benefits. What are the benefits of dancing salsa? Okay, uh, it's, it's, uh, I think dance is life. It uh, for you it will release your stress. This is one. 
and also it can communicate it to you. It can link you with many people. It's different people, South Sudanese or other people from other countries. It will link you. For example, if you are, know how to dance salsa and kezumba and you, you, you went to Nairobi or maybe, say, Dubai, okay? And then you will find uh, people on that uh, place, they are dancing this kind of, uh, of dance. Immediately you will, at, uh, you will interact with them. You will know them. You can have a, a big, big network. Uh, from different peoples. So this is the benefit of uh, dancing the Afro-Latino uh, dance. And what about Kizumba? I mean, this is my first time hearing about Kizumba. I don't know what it is, and I don't know its origin. Could you educate me about what Kizumba is? Uh, Kizumba is, uh, is, is, is from Angola. It's African dance. Uh, it's born in Angola. Kizumba is influence of Semba and uh, Caribbean music, Zouk. Mm-hmm. Yes, so uh, Angola is is is, is mean uh, Kizumba is mean dan is mean party mm-hmm. in Angola. So it's born in Angola. It's our own. Like we are proud. We are Africa. We have uh, a dance that people. It's just like Afrobeat. Now everyone want to dance Kizumba. Everyone want to dance uh, uh, Afrobeat. That's Juma Bido, the founder of the Juba Kizumba and Salsa Dance Group. He was speaking to me in Juba last week. A high court in Malawi has ruled against the government's order to stop a case in which Rastafarian children are suing the government over its education policy, which keeps them from enrolling in public primary schools wearing dreadlocks. Last month, the government wanted the case dismissed, arguing there is no such policy. However, in her verdict, Judge Zion Ntaba said the government's argument was shocking. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. Malawi's Rastafarians have long been sidelined by a Ministry of Education policy requiring students to conform by cutting their hair. But many Rastafarian parents choose private schools, while others give in and cut their children's dreadlocks. However, in 2020, two Rastafarian children obtained an injunction challenging the policy. Chikondi Chijosi is the lawyer representing them. The problem is that we are denying the Rastafari children access to education because uh, if they are not allowed to go to government schools and they don't have money, it means they cannot be educated because it's the duty of government to ensure that everyone has access to, uh, to the right to education. And if they are not allowed into government schools, it means it's a total denial of that right. Chijosi said they applied for judicial review to establish whether the policy is lawful or constitutional and whether the policy should be allowed in government schools. However, a few minutes before the first hearing of the case began last month, Attorney General Chakaka Nyerenda asked the presiding judges warning Tabam to stop hearing the case, saying Malawi has no policy against dreadlocks and that government schools were making the decision to ban students on their own. Chijosi says the government change of opinion on the matter was surprising. This matter came to court in 2017, and we are here in 2023 where we are having the hearing. So in between, the Attorney General had acknowledged that indeed there was this practice happening, and he had indicated to the claimants that would want to engage the ministry on this, that this should stop because it's not in line with the Constitution. So it's quite strange that today they say, no, there's no policy, when they were actually engaging the ministry to stop that practice. However, in her ruling Tuesday on the government's preliminary objection, Judge Ntaba dismissed a government application to stop the case, 
saying the petition had come at a very late stage. Ntaba also said she was shocked by the carelessness of the Attorney General's office in handling the case, primarily when the claimants are children. Rastafarianism is an Abrahamic religion from Jamaica that stresses living what they regard as naturally, which includes growing out their hair. Ras Patrick Galawanda is Education and Peace Ambassador for Rastafarians in Malawi. He says he senses victory. My feeling is we're going to win the battle because wherever we go, each and everyone wants to be Rastas. So it's a, it's a winning battle. I believe that contact and dialogue is the most important thing, whereby the other side they have to hear the other side. Because most of the time, they just judge the book without reading what's inside the book. Judge Ntaba has adjourned the hearing of the judicial review until March 14. Lamik Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. That's all we prepared for you on this Tuesday. We now leave you with Mede Muzika and the song Labi Amaro. I'm your host, John Tanza, on this live broadcast from Studio 14 here in Washington. Don't forget to visit VOA Africa for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this program, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. On behalf of our producer, Gwen Uten, and engineer, Shou Gong Chang, we wish you a good evening and thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Whatever I'm worried, i